welcome in to Box Office Quarterbacks, where we go into the huddle and look back at some of your favorite movies of all time. That's not going to be our official catchphrase. We're still working on that. But today, we are doing our first horror film since we started this podcast. We are doing the 2018 version of Halloween. As I just said, released in 2018, Halloween serves as a sequel to the 1978 horror classic that many credit with starting the slasher flick craze. The film was directed and co-written by David Gordon Green, and he's joined by Danny McBride and Jeff Fraidley for the screenplay. Jamie Lee Curtis reprises her role as Laurie Strode, with Nick Castle reprising his role for a couple of scenes as Michael Myers. This latest installment of Halloween revitalizes the franchise in a big way to contribute to the horror movie renaissance, along with Jordan Peele's Get Out and other films like A Quiet Place. This is the Halloween sequel Jamie Lee Curtis and Laurie Strode deserve. Jeff, I would have to say this is probably easily the best Halloween film since the original 1978 slasher film. Yeah, it definitely is, and it's it's not hard to do. We got Halloween H2O, Halloween Resurrection, where Buster Rhymes tries to fight Michael Myers in an empty house. So um, this was refreshing, to say the least, to reboot this and ignore all those terrible sequels that came after the first movie. Oh, and let's not forget the... Um... The redneck Michael Myers from the Rob Zombie era. We oh, got. I, I put that one out of my mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got the the Friday the Thirteenth version of Michael Myers, where everything's just brutal. Now, this does have some of the the Rob Zombie qualities in terms of the violence. This is definitely way more violent than the original Halloween film. But obviously, I, you feel like this had to be had to be a factor considering the type of horror movies that are coming out today. Yeah, it's not so much gory. Uh, the kills that come in this movie are, are a little more shocking as far as Michael Myers is concerned. He, he takes out maybe a 12 or 13 year old kid pretty early in this movie. And uh, when I saw that in theaters, I, I was shocked and I didn't even really know what the rest of the movie was going to be like. Absolutely. Um, and I think obviously the one thing that stands out is, is Jamie Lee Curtis is probably gives one of the best performances of her career in this film. Um, you know, obviously the original film, she's great, but I think this one takes the Laurie Strobe character to a whole new level. And this is probably, you don't see this a lot in these horror movies, especially the slasher ones where you have a serial killer who's kind of the face of the franchise. You don't see too often where one of the characters just completely steals the show away from him. And this movie really did not become about Michael Myers anymore. It's really Laurie Strobe's movie. Yeah, she's very Sarah Connor-esque this movie she's been training uh, her whole life after the incident when she was a babysitter back in the 70s for Michael's return and she has all these guns that she loads up in her house and the movie becomes about her and, her, and protecting her family essentially I, I think what I really loved is the decision right off the bat to ignore all the other films this is not a reboot this is a sequel boot, which I think more horror movies should do, especially these slasher films. This movie just ignores all the other Halloween films that came before it besides the first one. And I think that adds a lot of value. And I think it was the absolutely right decision. And it's now really made me excited for what comes next because this has truly revitalized the franchise. One change I really liked uh, about this, whatever you want to call it, uh, what you just called it, semi-sequel, 
uh, not a reboot thing was Michael Myers is not Laurie Strode's brother, which I felt was kind of a stretch um, in the original second movie. Like, how can these two characters be related is too much of a coincidence for me. So I, I really like that change. Yes. Um, and, and you got the dynamic. The, this this film has a really good emphasis on family. And I think characters are very well written in this in this film. Uh, and they're very likable. So when, when people get killed in this movie, there's, there's, an, there's an impact here. Uh, I feel like so many horror films, they just make you hate all the side char- characters or they're written so poorly that you just don't care about them. This one, you you care about a good portion of the characters. There are some who are a little weak and not as well written as others, but uh, the the kills in this movie are really terrifying. One of, one of the earliest kills in this movie is when Michael Myers first escapes from the mental um, asylum, and he's hunting the documentary crew uh, at the gas station. And when he goes into the women's room and... He sees the girl under the stall. It's one of the most brutal things you'll ever see. Like teeth are falling out. It's just yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, they're not documentary crews; they're podcasters. So the film, no. the film really does a good job of uh, of, of interwining the uh, the original Michael Myers story with with, with today's media. Because you know, the true crime podcasts are everywhere, and and that's pretty much centered around the early early parts of this movie are centered out of two podcasters are making, I guess somewhat of a true crime uh, podcast about Michael Myers and the death of Judith Myers. I did not know that. If you don't hear from me and Ryan after this episode, uh, Michael Myers got a little mad at us. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's, a, there's, and I watched on a different podcast and this totally uh, kind of had me cracking up quite a bit. When they pull up to Laurie Strode's house, Laurie Strode's house for the first time, uh, we see her hideout. Uh, Lori asks, what are you doing here? And he's like, uh, we're doing a podcast. And then um, the other podcaster goes, we're journalists. <laughs> Everybody's a journalist now. Yeah, and they do the most unethical thing you could possibly do in journalism. They give Lori Strode $3,000 to uh, to do an interview. And oh, uh, yeah. anyone who works in the media knows that is a big no-no. Journalism 101. Absolutely. But, but okay, so so we get this, we start this film off. Um, I really love how how it's shot, first of all. They do a lot of tight shots. Um, really good cinematography. These are little things, too. Um, but I, I love the buildup to when we first see Michael Myers. We, we meet the new Dr. Loomis, who's Dr. Sartain, and he's actually supposed to be a, a little more of the evil version of Loomis, and that becomes a plot twist later on in the film. And, you know, you kind of see he's kind of running the, the insane asylum. And when, when the mask comes out, it, it's a pretty epic scene. It has a great buildup to it. it. It was so, I found that scene kind of weird because, you know, these two podcasters are in the middle of a mental asylum and they're essentially taunting this mental patient that you know is dangerous and pulling out the mask and waving it at his face. But this scene is also chilling because all the dogs start barking and then the other mental patients start making noise because they know, um, they can sense that something is off with this whole situation. And we should probably, um, while we're here, since this plays a big part in a lot of these scenes, the, the, 
music in this film is unbelievable. It is spectacular. I think it's really one of the things that really makes makes this film uh, as as good as it was. The original Halloween score very well in this movie. I, I still think it's one of the top five best uh, horror movie themes of all time. Probably is the best and one of the best movie themes of all time. Yeah, I would say that the Halloween jingle is up there with the um, with the flashing bulb sound from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That was, uh, the, uh, yeah, but the, the Halloween jingle, every time you hear it, it's, it gets you excited. And you actually don't hear it for the first time until we go from the hospital to the title card. And they do a very classic title card where they have, like, the, the characters' names as, or or they, they say the actor and actress's names as the character. And they're using the, the old school titles. And instead of, like, the original film where it was a, a, uh, a pumpkin like disintegrating this time they have the pumpkin coming back to life like Michael Myers is back I like and, that too um, made, made you feel like you were back in 1970s uh, when this movie came out so I, I like the old school feel and I think you, you get that because of the, the Blumhouse productions they're, they're lower budget and they, they have more than, of an emphasis on uh, shooting stuff how it used to be back in the day as opposed to CGI and everything like that. And you also get, um, and apparently uh, the story is in movie theaters, if you went to midnight showings, the, the crowd went wild when they saw Jamie Lee Curtis's name come up on the title card as well as John Carpenter's names. So that that's, that's, that's one other thing to note. And we actually don't really get our first kill till later in the movie. And it's a really strong, it's a pretty gutsy decision we have michael myers killing a, a child essentially um as well as with several other people on on a bus when he escapes but this film really picks up when the podcasters who we, we we've just started to learn who they are uh get murdered at a gas station along with several other employees there but that that scene is very terrifying um it there's a so much great buildup in this movie especially when it comes to the kills and this one, you have the the podcaster show up to the gas station, and I believe the the girl actually says she's gonna go take a number two, yeah. which is, is is low key in there. And it, I didn't notice it the first time, third time actually is when I finally noticed it. And I thought it was a uh, like oh okay, um, but but that's a, that's a terrible way to go. <laughs> yeah, but there's but there's little details they do to make the scene more terrifying. You have her walk through the the bathroom you see how disgusting it is you see how disgusting a floor is so when she's crawling through the the room trying to escape from michael myers it adds to the terror of it and i love the pan shot you get when her her partner and i believe in a in a um deleted scene it reveals that they are actually dating um kind of looks through the window notices the two gas station employees have been killed and if you look closely earlier in this in the scene you can actually see michael myers killing the one guy in the background through a window but then you see michael myers like slowly walking through the bathroom then he eventually drops the teeth down into the stall and then you know that's when things are really going to pick up and this is about to get uh terrifying yeah i I like the grittiness of that whole sequence there Uh, i want to kind of go back to the the 12 year old kid because that kill kind of leads to some more tension later in the movie 
when Michael Myers is walking through houses in the neighborhood in Haddonfield. So he walks through this house, and there's a baby crying in the crib, and you had just seen him kill a 12-year-old kid. And when we saw this movie in theaters, we're like, he better not kill that baby. And thank God he walks out of the house, but like, I've never gotten that mad at a horror movie before. So the probably the, the best kill of this movie, we'll go right into that already, it's got to be my favorite scene of the whole film, just because of how well done it is. And that's the first time you see him show up to the neighborhood on Halloween. And it starts, you have two kids who bump into Michael Myers. And it's one tr- one take, camera follows him into one house, he takes the hammer, kills one victim, walks out of the house, walks into another house after he gets a knife, and then takes another victim that way. And I believe they used a CGI knife to do the stab through the neck just so they could keep the shot going, which I'm, I'm okay with. It was a, it's a tough scene to shoot in general, but it's so well executed. And, and, and just that, that execution, that, that cinematography, that camera work is really what made this film uh, one that we're still talking about right now and why we're getting two more sequels because of it. Reminded me of Goodfellas at the the very beginning when Joe Pesci's walking through the restaurant, like the camera pans with Michael Myers the entire path that he's on, and uh, you know I, I really loved what David Gordon Green did. It's so crazy that he directed Pineapple Express and all these other movies, and he could just do a 180 and do a horror movie that we've never really seen before. Yeah, you have you have quite the uh, the crew full of of horror or comedy names. I mean, Danny McBride's one of the co-writers, and yeah, and then you said Daniel uh, David Gordon Green's uh, track record is not very very horror friendly, but these guys made it work, and you can definitely tell the comedy background uh, in the writing and in a lot of these characters. We do get some pretty funny scenes, but the the funny the the humor does not distract from from the terror of this film. And sometimes it's really hard to separate that. But we, we have one character in here, for example, who is uh, there for comic relief. He's the, the friend of Cameron, who's the main, uh, I guess, the boyfriend of Jamie Lee Curtis's granddaughter. And he's kind of having this goofy scene where he's really drunk and he's, in, he's trespassing in someone's backyard and eventually he realizes that Michael Myers is in the backyard with him and they're alone. And it goes from goofy to uh-oh. And and that comedy just cuts just like that. And we're back to yeah. being a very serious movie. That was a very hard scene to watch. If I remember correctly, he gets impaled on the the fence there and oh, it's just Michael Myers is hunting him the entire time and it the yeah, the tension just cuts right through that scene. Yeah, and at the, and then the the granddaughter notices what's going on, um, or she goes back to check on him, and then we get another piece of why the the, the music in this film so great. Um, it's her first time seeing Michael Myers, and when she sees her friend dead, and then you see Michael Myers appear, and the score starts to pick up perfectly, and it really just makes for a really really frightening moment, and and the. Then you see the most realistic thing ever in a horror movie where she runs away from him and screams for help. And what happens? She actually gets help. Yeah. There's you don't a- see that too often. <laughs> Mostly it's just people leaving these teenagers in the dust. But yeah. 
Yeah, no, I, I love breaking all the horror movie tropes on this. Yeah, no, I, I do love how the one thing I will say, I feel like nobody really does anything that stupid in this movie. You just have all the horror movie cliches where somebody does like walks into the wrong room and everyone knows that's the dumb thing to do. But I feel like most of the characters put up somewhat of a fight. Um, you have Vicky who plays the who's the best friend um, to one of our main characters. And even in her scene, she gets caught off guard by Michael Myers, which is a very well done scene too. She gets stabbed in the shoulder and she has the wherewithal to pick up a chair and throw it at him before she tries to run away. Um, yeah. And you, you, you watching the scene, you think, oh, she probably would have gotten away if she didn't slip. I, I, I thought she was going to get away, actually. And uh, that, that led to uh, you know, a crazier scene later when, when the granddaughter finds her body under that sheet. Um, and oh, it's not the granddaughter. It's, uh, it's uh, Hawkins, the, the sheriff. All right, so we've been rambling on the kills a little bit here. Let's, let's actually get into the characters. So we have, we have Laurie Strode being reprised by Jamie Lee Curtis. We've already talked about how terrific she is. And we get Jordy, uh, Judy Greer as Karen Nelson, who's Laurie's uh, daughter. And then we get Andy Matichik as uh, Allison Nelson. And, and, and we just get... Th- um, I'm a little torn on how these characters are done. Um, obviously, we, we've talked about Laurie Strode. She's spectacular. I, I just feel like um, her her first daughter, Karen, is is a little just. Um, I, I don't. If there's any in, any issues I have with this movie, this is probably how this character is done. First of all, you you're you're made to kind of, the way she's written. You kind of just don't like her because she's so she hates Laurie Strode. She doesn't believe her. She doesn't trust her, and she ends up being flat out wrong about Michael Myers later in the movie. And it's just hard to root for. It's crazy. Judy Greer played essentially the same role in Jurassic World. She was the worried mom who had kind of a secret vendetta against a family member and was unsure about them. So it kind of came back here. And she doesn't. Karen doesn't get a lot to do in this movie at all until pretty much the end of the movie when Michael Myers is in the house and they're in the bunker. Yeah. So... I would have liked that character to be fleshed out a little bit more. Yeah, and it's interesting because because um, her husband Rick is kind of the same, has the same feelings throughout the movie. But for some reason, I guess because he's kind of hilarious throughout the film, uh, you do like him a little bit more. Um, and you know, Judy Judy Greer's performance is a little interesting here. I think it's a little weak off the top of the movie. She's kind of a little stale to begin with, but I think she gets better as the film goes along. Till at the end, when she's hiding in the bunker from Michael Myers, she actually gets gives a very strong performance where she uh, kind of reveals how scared she is. But then she's actually calling Michael's bluff. But her performance gets a little bit better as gets better as the film goes along because I did not think it started off very good. Yeah, they they, they just didn't give her enough personality. And Judy Greer is a very funny actress. She was in Arrested Development for for a number of seasons there, and they they could have punched up the humor with her and kind of fleshed her out a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. But I do think most of the performance in this movie are really strong. Uh, Will Patton's an, uh, a great addition as well. Will um, Patton. I love Will Patton in any movie he's in. I still think of Remember the Titans every time I see him. But he, he's a great character actor, and he just is so great in any roles he does, whether it's a villain role, the sheriff, 
anything. I feel like he play he plays the cop quite a lot in movies. Um, so this this definitely this, typecast as a cop. Yeah, yeah. yeah th- this role is is uh, is really well uh, fit- fitting for him. But but one thing I do want to point out too is when we talked about the realism, how this kind of feels real. Well, keep in mind in this film, it's been decades since Michael Myers had been arrested. He's really only killed five people, and it's pointed out by by Dave, who's one of the one of the teenagers in this film. He kind of straight up says, "There's worse people out there these days," and that that's really I mean it's a sad thing that we have to bring that up in our generation, but it's it is a reality. So to think that Michael Myers would have been lost in the shuffle decades later is not an unrealistic thought. That's true because you you don't really hear about all the true crimes that went down in decades past. So if someone like Michael Myers did escape in the day and age that we live in now, it probably would be a little bit buried in the news cycle, as you and I both know very well. Now, if he did something like what he does when he does escape in this movie, obviously that's going to make headlines, which apparently is going to happen in the next film. Um, but but it, yeah, it does add to the realism that people just wouldn't take this guy seriously. Obviously, that that's one of the things that makes this film work and why it was a good idea to get rid of the the events from past sequels because then just you have get to factor in the supernaturalness and the reputation of this guy where this one can take you from surprise and it also can cut out all the conspiracy theories. Though there are a lot of good callbacks to previous films in this movie, so there is a couple, decent amount of fan service for everybody. And the way this film, you know, ends up makes me really curious about how the next movie is going to go. Like, what's the granddaughter's role in all of this? And how we know Michael's going to survive. He always does. But we saw him burned in a house. What, what's the story behind that, too? Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this goes. Um, but I'm really looking forward to it. And I think they are going to give Michael Myers his final send-off since the third uh, movie, I believe, is going to be titled Halloween Ends. So hopefully we're going to finally get uh, that satisfying Michael Myers death we've always wanted to see and one that actually kills one of these guys off for good this time. Yeah, we want this one to stick. Like I, I think it was Halloween H2O, he gets his head cut off, and then the next movie it was like, actually, that was a paramedic that was just randomly in a Michael Myers suit. So, yeah, hopefully, hopefully they stick the landing on this. Absolutely. So, are there any scenes in here we did not like? Any scene involving the granddaughter's boyfriend, I hated. He was a very arrogant person, and if there was one person I wanted to see Michael Myers go after, it was him. That's how they kind of broke the stereotype a little bit. Like, the the, the kind of jerk boyfriend doesn't get killed. So that's another thing they flipped on their head. Yeah, hopefully they'll address that in the next movie. But it, it, it's it's interesting you say that too. Yeah, because uh, I think two of the weaker scenes in this film, I think that the, the, college, or the high school dance party is a little ridiculous and cliche. And then you also have the very awkward, very uncomfortable scene where Cameron, who's the, the boyfriend you were bringing up, his best friend tries to hook up with, I guess, his now ex-girlfriend. Um, and that is a very uncomfortable scene. Pretty much he tries to kiss her when he's drunk. Um, and that's just, that. it's just odd. 
But I will say that it does lead to one of the better scenes in the movie, which is one we already talked about, where after Allison leaves and walks down the street, the young man unfortunately has to run into Michael Myers after that, and he gets killed on a fence post or trying to climb a fence. And then we get the, the terrific score and the reveal to Michael Myers when Allison sees him for the first time. So two bad scenes saved by one of the better scenes in the movie after that. Probably the, the best death scene in the movie. Um, another, another scene I wasn't really uh, too happy with was the twist with uh, new Dr. Loomis there. I kind of saw it earlier in the movie, but I, I felt the movie could have done without it, with, without that character being obsessed with Michael Myers for all these years. Yeah, um, I, I will say, I think the reason why I do kind of like it, it kind of adds to the realism of this Michael Myers and the vulnerability of Michael Myers. Like we said before, I felt like a lot of these characters weren't dumb. And I think one of the scenes where you kind of break that horror movie, um, all the cliches, is the scene where Will Patton is driving in his driving in the police cruiser and he sees Michael Myers and like, what are you going to do about it? He's like, I'm going to run him over. So he just drills Michael Myers with the car and then he gets out. He's like, okay, now I'm going to shoot him in the head. So he could have just ended the movie right there and it would have been the most realistic horror movie ever. But then Sartain stops him from doing it. But then you see just how... Yo, this Michael Myers is easy to kill. You just got to get the right opportunity. Um, and Sartain kind of keeps him alive, and but keeps the vulnerability alive there. But at the same time, yeah, there is some stuff with him that's a little over the top, and you got the obsession thing going on. Um, but I, I do think it has its pros and cons. He, he would probably be my weak, weak link of the entire movie, I would say. I've seen that. I've seen that from a lot of people, uh, too, as well. Um, but I, I do think there are a lot of there are a lot of uh, small scenes. They're, they're, they do little things to make you care about these characters. Um, and it, right before Vicky dies, there is you hadn't been given many reasons to care about her other than her just being Allison's friend. But then we get a scene where she's babysitting a young man, um, and it's probably it's probably the one of the funniest scenes of the movie. He's clipping his toenails, and she's using code words to talk about weed. And he's like, "I know you're smoking weed. You don't have to lie to me." <laughs> and and they start like going at at each other. Um, and then she sends him to bed, and they have a scene where he, she, he's like, they actually confess, like, "Oh, you're actually my favorite kid. I babysit." And he's like, "Well, you're my favorite babysitter." Um, and then we unfortunately get an, another great Michael Myers scene where she's trying to close the door. And Michael Myers pops out of the closet. Unfortunately, that scene was ruined by the trailer, but it didn't stop the uh, the the thrill of it. I would say. I love that kid. I would probably watch an entire movie of that kid just reacting to Michael Myers. That kid was hilarious. Yeah. But uh, I, I like. If you would have yeah. used him too much, he would have made them. He would have made. He would have made the movie very not scary. But yeah. yes, he was great. Apparently, he's going to be in the next movie. Um, and I believe um, the who was the who what was the name of the character Laurie Strode was babysitting in the first movie, Tommy Tramer, right? Yeah, and then Paul Rudd played him in a later movie, but I think Anthony Michael Hall is going to play him in the next movie. Yes, he's going to revitalize his role. So yes, yeah, so Tommy Tramer and uh, Julian will both be back in the next movie. So I'm very excited about that. 
I wish we would have gotten more of Omar Dorsey, who plays Sheriff Barker. He was a really fun character for the few scenes he was on uh, on camera. And he kind of just kind of gets written off briefly, but hopefully that means we'll see him in the next film. But uh, him and Will Patton had some great chemistry, and I just wish we would have seen more of him. Yeah, I, I was very sad that Will Patton, Patton's character died in this movie because he was one of my favorite parts of it. But that would be the only thing I'd, I'd possibly change as far as the kills go. I, I would probably keep Will Patton alive at least. Uh, but but at the same time, like his, th- that was the point of this. That's why this Halloween, I think, excels, and we they killed off characters that you didn't want to die, and I think that was that's that's what horror movies and especially slasher flicks have failed at for for so many times is that they just you didn't you didn't care when characters died. In this movie, there was ones you really just didn't want to see go. That is true, and especially the shock value of Will Patton's character. That that plot twist is one I. I didn't see coming the first time, even though there are hints riddled throughout this film that, that it's a possibility. Yeah, I, I, I didn't think the doctor would be the one to take him down. I, I thought he'd go out guns blazing against Michael Myers for sure. And we also have a really good scene um, where you have the two sheriff's deputies in a car talking, and neither of these two gentlemen had any acting experience. But it's a really, really fun scene, and it just kind of gives another reason why oh crap i don't i don't want to see these guys die and they end up dying yeah. it's a good uh good example of how david gordon green used his comedy background in that scene yeah no the the the, the comedy um aspects definitely i think add an element to this film and without without holding back the fact that this is still a horror movie um it's kind of like how it um utilized comedy when that that rem- or that sequel happened but or no, it was a it was a reboot. Yeah, yeah. That that reboot happened, but this one not not as funny as it was, and um, obviously a little more violent as well. Yeah. Um. So so let's get into when we get to the the showdown that we've been waiting for, which is Michael Myers besieging Laurie Strode inside her hideaway. Um. This is epic. Um, we we get the her looking for him throughout her house, and it, it's a, it's a good. There's several minutes this scene goes on, so this build up to when they're finally gonna clash is is pretty crazy. And obviously, you get the scene where she shoots his fingers off before this, but when she's upstairs walking throughout the house, clearing each room, uh, that's when the tension really just builds up. And I think he busts through the front door, and he kind of. Uh, stabs her a little bit there too. It, it kind of reminded me of like an R-rated Halloween, or not. I mean, an R-rated Home Alone. She has all these traps set for him, and Michael Myers is coming through the door, and you can tell he's not in his element. And uh, Laurie Stroh has been preparing for this for over thirty years, forty years, close to that. Yep. No, the the build up was just spectacular up into the scene. Even the build. Even build up to things like when Michael Myers puts his mask on for the first time. I mean, that that scene in itself is like a culmination. It's like, oh, we've been waiting for him to put his, ha- put, his, put his mask on for so long, and he finally gets to do it about like 30 minutes into the movie, maybe even a little bit more than that. But when, when these two just go at it, it's, it's epic. And then, and then to know that Laurie Strode has is, is actually kind of learned the ways of Michael Myers... Like, they do the reverse psychology where he looks down after throwing her off a balcony and she's gone this time. Like, uh-oh, what, what's Laurie Strode going to do? <laughs> I love that scene. 
does say that a lot. And I, I love when she, when Michael Myers gets shot and then she comes up on him and does the Happy Halloween, Michael. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I wanted to stand Everything up. Everything about the ending was great. Yeah, I wanted to stand up and cheer. Um, and yeah, it ends with a slow pan towards a knife that I believe Allison's holding. And that's when yeah. you know. That's where I, I didn't know where, where the sequel's going to go because I, I couldn't tell if they're trying to make her out to be carrying on a Michael Myers legacy there. Is she going to become a killer or is she going to take over for Laurie Strode? That's how, I didn't know how to interpret that scene. Well, I hope not. That would be the, I think that would be a really bad way to cap off this Laurie Strode character where she doesn't want people to become the thing that she spent her whole life preparing to, to kill, essentially. All right, Jeff, we're kind of wrapping it up here. And what are, what would you say was the best kill of this movie? It would be Cameron's friend after he had just confessed his feelings to Laurie Strode's granddaughter. Uh, Michael Myers chases him through that house and he gets impaled on the fence. That's That's the scene that sticks with me even two years after I saw this movie in theaters. Yeah, and let's give that actor some credit. The, the, the character's name is, is Oscar, and uh, Drew Shedd is the actor. So we've been calling him Cameron's friend this whole time, so let, let's, let's be respectful and give him, call him by his name. Now, I would say I like the bathroom scene with the podcasters, um, especially when, when Dana... Who we, we haven't been calling her by her name either, but Dana's the character, and, and when she is just standing there, she's holding a weapon, but she's just screaming, just terrified when Michael Myers comes in to strangle her. Um, I think, obviously, being one of the first main kills in the movie, and especially the build-up to it, is great, and just everything with, the, with how it's set up, it just builds up how terrifying and thrilling it is. Um, obviously, the, the tracking sequence, where he's walking from house to house, and he gets kind of reunited with the kitchen knife and also i I, th I think vicky's death is is probably one of the the best scenes too because she was a character we we cared about um it's built up great and everything building up to that sequence is is strong as well all right so as i said before this my favorite one of my favorite decisions for this movie comes before it even starts and that's the decision to pretty much just do a direct sequel to to the original to the best one and I want to see other horror franchises, especially the slasher flicks, take on this challenge. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, in a way, tried this years ago with some sequels or movies taking place right after the original one. And they, they fell flat on their face. They were all terrible. But I do think if we can get a direct sequel to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre... We could have a great storyline because uh, remember, there's still members Leatherface and uh, the the father of the the Sawyer family are still alive. So, I would like to see a, a real, true, well done sequel to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And do you think we could pick up where Friday the Thirteenth left off after I believe Part Four, which is considered the the one right before the franchise kind of fell fell off? Yeah, it's like right before he goes to space. But yeah, if you did a direct sequel to the first Friday the 13th, it, it leaves it in a very interesting place because at the end of that movie, it's revealed that the killer the whole time was Jason's mother. So you have a lot of different avenues of how to approach 
a possible direct sequel to that movie. Oh, oh I, I disagree with Friday the 13th. I don't think they would pick up where the first one left off. I think they would do that one uh, where, like, the fourth movie left off. So after the fourth movie where Tommy Jarvis is a young, is a kid, um, and he, the movie, I believe, ends with him dressing up pretty much as Jason to throw him off before they actually kill him. Now, so it would be hard to do because this is the one where Jason actually does die. And so then they had to get into the supernatural stuff to bring him back, where he gets, like, struck by lightning. So it would be hard for them to figure out where, where to pick up where they left off. But Tommy Jarvis is arguably one of the better characters in the Friday the 13th franchise that's not Jason Voorhees or his mom. I would like to see somebody else take on the Jason mantle. Um, yeah, whether it's Tommy Jarvis or somebody else, uh, the last time we saw it was when his mom was revealed to be the killer at the end of the first movie. So to see someone else be inspired by a serial killer like that would be uh, a, a nice twist for that franchise. Yeah, or you could do the whole, um, I've kind of mapped out how this movie would go because I'm a loser and I have nothing better to do. But I, I kind of think you could have like had Camp Crystal Lake be closed, closed down for years because of fear of Jason coming back and Tommy Jarvis is kind of the guy who like leads the charge to keep it closed. So then they decide to reopen it and Jason makes his comeback. So in a way, Tommy Jarvis would pretty much be Laurie Strode years later. Oh, see that we need, we need, you need to pitch that to Blumhouse right now yeah. and they'll throw $5 million at you. Which is kind of what I would want to do with uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You could bring back the, uh, the, the, the lone survivor from that film and have her be a, uh, a character or uh, those films actually had like a good idea with their original sequels where they had, um, I, oh, they had a police officer who was the father of one of the girls who was killed by Leatherface kind of going on a revenge uh, tour, but they made it into a, they made it all very goofy. So they, the execution was poor. The idea was okay though. Um, and then you could probably do nightmare on Elm street direct sequel there. Cause I don't believe that movie ever really got a true sequel it deserved. That would be, that's the movie that freaked me out the most when I was little, just seeing Johnny Depp sucked into the bed and then the blood fountain goes up. Um, I, they made Freddy, I feel, way too comedic in the sequel, so I would like to see a more um, based on, you know, horror-based version of Freddy in a direct sequel. No, I mean, the last two times we've seen Freddy Krueger on the big screen, it was, a, it, it was very hard to watch. The remake a couple yeah. of years ago was terrible. And it was almost like a cat. It was, huh? He looked like a cat on that movie to me. That's all I saw. I was like, why does Freddy Krueger look like a cat? <laughs> yeah. But, and yeah. then you got Freddy versus Jason, which, uh, uh, I mean, I liked it when I was a kid. Now that I've, I've kind of watched some scenes back, I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've got better taste now. Doesn't hold up at all. Yeah. So overall, I think we both agree that the new Halloween was a, a success, and uh, but mainly carried by... Jamie Lee Curtis's fantastic performance and some great cinematography, a great score, and great writing. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see where this franchise goes, especially that now that we know that there's two more sequels coming from the same director. I believe they shot the, the two sequels back-to-back, -back, so I'm, I'm really excited to see where Halloween lands for us in the future. Absolutely. All right, well, thank you guys so much for joining us for Box Office Quarterbacks. We'll hopefully get a phrase here or there at some point. But next week, I believe we're going to be looking into No Country for Old Men. That is still to be determined. But follow us on social media and we'll keep you updated 
on what our next show is going to be. Thank you guys so much for joining us. I'm Ryan Schmelz. He's Jeffrey Gordon. Have a great night.